Welcome and thank you so very much for joining us on today's segment of Making a Difference Through Mentorship, where our aim and goal is to share principles and precepts from God's Word that will make a difference in somebody's life. And we've learned and understood that you make a difference one life at a time. Today's segment is part two of the Unforced Rhythms of Grace from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11 in the Message Bible, beginning at the 28th through the 30th verses, where Jesus asked the crowd three questions. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Do what? Live life. That's what Jesus is teaching here. Then he goes on to say, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. The audience or crowd that Jesus uh, was speaking to in this passage, they were born into Judaism. Judaism originates because of the covenantal relationship between God and Abraham that we learn of in Genesis chapter 12, where God says to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. 430 years had passed from Genesis chapter 12 until Moses received God's law for his people on Mount Sinai. In Exodus chapter 19, which consisted of the Ten Commandments and 635 rules and regulations known in the religion of the Hebrews, Judaism, as the Torah or the five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And now approximately 1400 years later in the Message Bible of Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus asked the multitude of people that had gathered, are you tired, worn out? burned out on religion, the religion that required them to keep 635 additional rules and regulations beyond the Ten Commandments. Are you burned out in your religion? And the Lord never asks a question that he does not already know the answer to. The Apostle Paul preaching to a mixed audience of Jews and Gentiles, and Gentiles in the Hebrew culture is any nationality or ethnicity that is non-Jewish. So Paul is preaching to a mixed audience of Jews and various ethnicities in Galatians chapter 3, beginning at the 24th verse, Paul says, the law was our tutor, our schoolmaster, to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith, verse 25. But after faith has come, we no longer are under a tutor or a schoolmaster, for you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus was hated by the religious leaders of his day. John 5 and 18, the Jews wanted to kill him because he told a man to take up his bed and walk. He healed the man and they wanted to kill him. And in John chapter 10, they tried to stone him because the Jewish leaders claimed that Jesus was a blasphemer by saying that he was the son of God. This was an insult to their religion. Talking to a crowd, a Jewish crowd in Matthew 11, that knew the Torah, the five books of the law. They knew the Psalms and the writings of the prophets, but knew nothing of Jesus as the son of God. Jesus asked, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. 
I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Do what? Live life. How so? By learning the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Within the invitation of Matthew 11 that Jesus gave to the crowd that day of learning or to learn the unforced rhythms of grace, there was then as it is now a cadence to life and ministry, a pattern for life in him because it's still all about him. A cadence is a rhythmic sequence or flow of sounds in language communicating in communication as well. Rhythm may also be defined as a regular repeated pattern of events or activities. Unforced can be defined as free-flowing, deliberately designed, unconstrained, and free. Life is best lived in the right rhythm. It's what many drum drummers would call being in the groove. As a drummer, you feel the rhythm of the song, not too fast, not too slow, living, playing in the rhythm of the song. As you've read and studied your Bible, have you noticed how Jesus never seemed to be in a hurry? There was an unforced rhythm or pattern to his life and ministry. Jesus was constantly inundated with urgent needs, surrounded by crowds all the time. Events happened quickly, one after another after another. In just one day, he could go from preaching to casting out demons to healing those that were afflicted. Can you imagine how that would play out in our 21st century world? The number of phone calls, emails, tweets, and DMs that would blow up his inbox. And yet Jesus says, come, come to me. As he said it then, so does he say today. He says, come to me. It's an invitation intended to reach a man or woman at the core of our very being or our human existence. When we speak of rhythm in a song, it also invokes movement to its tune, to tap a foot to its beat, the impact and influence of the rhythm in the song, cultivating harmony, balance, and rest naturally and spiritually. In Matthew 11, the Message Bible, Jesus asks his audience three questions. Are you tired, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. For today's podcast, there are two elements that we want to discuss in the unforced rhythms of grace. Number one is where Jesus says, when you come to me, you will recover your life. And number two, I will show you how to take a real rest. So the Amplified Bible translation of Hebrews 4 and 11 declares, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest of God, to know and experience it for ourselves so that no one will fall by following the same example of disobedience as those who died in the wilderness. The only requirement for entering into this rest is faith. When we truly believe and trust him, we will rest in him. When we rest in God, God will work. And when we work, God will rest. Life becomes easier when we learn to trust the one who has never failed. The writer of Hebrews 4 discusses that the people of God did not enter into, or some of the people of God did not enter into this rest because of unbelief. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world, the rest was provided from the foundation of the world. It is the revelation of the finished work that produces faith. 
The only requirement to enter into this rest in Hebrews chapter four is that we believe in the one who has given rest. Everything that we do from um, that standpoint of foundation of belief is a result of what we believe and what we shall achieve. Right living flows out of right believing in the unforced rhythms of God's grace, which is the power and equipment for ministry. The word rest is used nine times in Hebrews chapter four. Verse one says his rest. Speaking of Jesus, verses three and four says my rest. Again, speaking of Jesus, verse nine of Hebrews four says there remains a rest for the people of God. Verse 11 says, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest of God, to know and experience it for ourselves so that no one will fall by following the same example of disobedience as those who died in the wilderness. The person who believes in God enters God's rest, but the person who does not believe can never enter into the rest of God. And the tragic fact is clear. The unbeliever has no hope, nothing to look forward to in this life except trials, sufferings, emptiness, and loneliness. A life without meaning and purpose because there's no rest in their souls. The soul being the seat of our emotions, our intellect, our will, our thinking that influences our behavior and conduct. The Bible says to us in Proverbs 23 and 7, as a man thinks, that's who he really is, as a woman thinks, that's who she really is. And our thinking is seated in our souls, our emotions, it impacts what we do. He has nothing to look forward to. This person that has uh, no rest in God, they have nothing to look forward to in the future except judgment and alienation from God. This was the case for the Israelites who died in the wilderness because of their disobedience, refusing to obey God, refusing to trust in God and coming to know and rest in God's plan for their future. Therefore, their constant companions are stress, struggle, and strain. In the home, in their marriages, many sleepless nights, in every facet of life, stress, struggle, and strain in the workplace, stress, struggle, and strain in relationships. Seems like most of the time life is simply full of discouragement and disappointment because they have not learned how to walk in the unforced rhythms of grace, which is the power and equipment for life in ministry. The rest that Jesus speaks of in Matthew 11 is the same rest that the writer of Hebrews chapter 4 speaks of. It is not a rest from work, but in work, not the rest of inactivity, but of the harmonious working of all of our abilities, a harmonious working of our will, our heart, imagination, and the way that we think that influences our conduct and behavior, because each component of life has found in God satisfaction and lifelong service and development because we rest in him. Now in the King James Version of Matthew 11, 28 and 29, the Bible says, Jesus extends the invitation, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. When Jesus says in verse 28, I will give you rest. First, there is the rest of salvation where Romans 10 and 10 reminds us that if we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths, the Lord Jesus having been raised from the dead, we shall be saved. So the first rest is the rest of salvation or justification. Salvation also means to rescue or to escape, to rescue us and help us to escape from 
a life of sin, transgression, and iniquity. So this first rest is the rest of salvation and justification. Justification is the act that God provides, moving those that are willing from the from a state of sin to a state of grace, which is the change in a person's condition, moving from a state of sin to a state of righteousness. This is the rest of deliverance from the slavery and bondage of sin, the power of Christ to conquer enslaving habits and thoughts that damage the human body and seek to destroy the human soul. It is the rest of thinking and consciousness that comes to a person's soul when he or she ceases his struggle in the wilderness of sin and comes saying, what must I do to be saved? It is the rest of conquest and triumph which a person experiences when he or she conquers the enemies of sin and evil through the power of Christ day by day. It is the rest of victory through the daily storms of life. Now in Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, Jesus says, you shall find rest for your souls. This is the rest of sanctification, of being set apart to live a pure and holy life while completing our assignment in life for the rest of our lives. The first rest in Matthew eleven twenty eight in the King James Version is salvation and justification. And this second rest in the 29th verse is sanctification, the rest of purpose and satisfaction of confidence and completeness. The rest is not a rest of inactivity of no work or of no work of an endless slumber or the right to laziness. No, it is a rest of refreshment and the rest of encouragement, the rest of refreshment, a rest of refreshing one's body, mind and spirit with the presence and guidance of God day by day. It is a rest that fits one for life, which is the unforced rhythms of grace, the power and equipment for ministry, a rest that infuses a person with true purpose, meaning and significance, the rest of encouragement and motivation of the soul. This is how we this is the rest that we find, a rest that stirs a person to live and undertake his or her God given task with enthusiasm and excitement, vigor and endurance fighting the good fight of faith because they are flowing in the unforced rhythms of grace. So Jesus says in Matthew 11, come to me, not to a religion. James, the brother of Jesus in the Amplified Classic translation of James 1 and 26 teaches us that if anyone thinks himself to be religious, piously observing the external duties of his faith and does not bridle his tongue, does not control his tongue, but deludes, deceives, fools his own heart. This person's religious service is worthless. The term religious in James 1.26 can be translated as being careful for the externals of divine service. It's the external things that people see that we do. So James said, be careful to be religious. It can be translated as being careful for the externals or what people see us do in divine service. Historians and sociologists tell us that there are over 10,000 religions around the world, but the problem with religion is that it leaves a void in a person's life because religion can never carry the nature and substance of a relationship built by love. Somebody wrote a song some time ago, when nothing else could help, it was love that lifted me. Religion only provides rules where a relationship built by love provides recovery of a sweatless life for the rest of your life. It was always God's intention for Adam and mankind to live a sweatless life in the garden. But when sin entered in, 
when Adam was removed from the garden because of his disobedience, trying to cover up his sin with fig leaves and aprons, that was the beginning of, of living the rest of his life with sweat falling from his brow. But from the very beginning, God never intended it to be so. He told Adam to dress it and to keep it when he planted him in the garden. To dress it means to do, to serve, to worship in what you do. To keep it means to watch over and to preserve. Adam had a sweatless life and ministry until disobedience entered in. So now religion cannot provide us with being restored to a sweatless life for the rest of our life. Only a relationship built by love when nothing else could help. It was God's love that lifted you and I. So when relationship, a relationship built by love provides us the gateway, the doorway to recovery of a sweatless life for the rest of our lives. There are some things occurring in people's homes and marriages, occurring with their children, co-workers, people that they know that are simply exhausting and the Lord knows it. And the question then becomes, do you know what or who is exhausting you? So Jesus simply says, come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life, a sweatless life that frees you from the bondage of people, pain, pressure, and problems. So when Jesus says, come, the word come means to move closer to the requester, move closer to me in relationship and not in religion. Jesus says, get away with me. I'll show you how to recover your life. To recover is to return to a normal state of health, mind, and strength. Jesus is coming to restore what God gave to us in the garden, a sweatless life. This was the normal state for you and I that God always intended for us in spirit, soul, and body. So to recover is to return to a normal state of health, mind, and strength. But we got to come closer to Jesus, move closer to him as a requester. Then Jesus says, I'll show you how to take a real rest, not the kind of rest. And I'm grateful for vacations, going to Hawaii or uh, Pan to, the, to, to the Bahamas or wherever we go on a cruise. But that's not the kind of rest that Jesus was talking about. Jesus was talking about a rest that refreshes, renews us, spirit, soul, and body. To recover your life, to rest in the Lord, is also the plan and image of salvation. I'm going to salvation. It certainly means to restore one to a right relationship with God. But salvation also means to rescue and to escape. Jesus says, I've come to help you recover your life, to rest in the Lord, to help you to recover to, res to rescue you, to help you to escape from the stress, struggle, and strain, to rescue you, to help you to escape from the people, pain, pressure, and problems that arise in our lives. Jesus, when he uses this word rest in Matthew 11, it's the same word that Paul used in 2 Corinthians 12 and 9, where you know the story, God, uh, Paul had received a thorn in his flesh because of the great revelation that he had received when he was caught up to the third heaven. And you know the story. Paul asked God three times to take this thorn out of his flesh. And God, in essence, said, Paul, I'm not going to do that. My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength, my power is made perfect in weakness. To be made perfect in weakness carries the meaning of to consecrate, to finish, or fulfill. Even through Paul's hardships, adversities, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, where we talked about being 
uh, beaten with 39 lashes, where he talked about being beaten with rods three times, where he talked about being stoned and left for dead, where he talked about uh, being uh, shipwrecked and in the open sea all day and all night, when he talked about how his own countrymen, those of his own nationality and ethnicity, the Jews and people that claimed to be his brothers, but they were not how they abandoned, assaulted and attacked him. Paul said, this is, listen, perhaps some of those memories happened to be a portion of his thorn in the flesh. We don't really know what his thorn in the flesh was, but he was given this thorn in his flesh as a messenger from Satan to buffet him. The word buffet means to uh, punch or to hit with a closed fist. So when, when Paul says, God, I'm asking you three times to take this thorn out of my flesh. God says, I'm not going to do it. My grace is sufficient for you for my strength. My power is made perfect in weakness. Even through his hardships and sufferings, through uh, people that he knew, the, the, the beatings, the lashings, the shipwreck being uh, threatened by robbers and, and murderers, God knew that even through all of this, he had consecrated Paul. He was finishing. He was fulfilling the work in Paul so that God would help Paul to understand that his power would be made perfect in Paul's weakness. Paul then replies to the Lord in verse 10. In other words, God, all right, if this is your final answer, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, not his strengths, but about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. This term weakness means inability, inadequacies, limitations. Paul knew that he was inadequate, limited without the power of Christ resting upon him. So he said, I'm going to boast in my weaknesses, my inabilities, my inadequacies, my limitations so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. When Paul said that the power of Christ may rest upon him, this word rest means to tabernacle or pinch a tent over. Rest further means to abide, to remain, to dwell, to cover. Jesus speaking to the apostle John in Revelation 21 and 3, John declares, and I heard. There are sometimes you have to hear from God for yourself. Don't pick up the phone and call your prayer partner. Don't pick up the phone and call your best friend. No, sometimes you got to hear from God for yourself. Seven times in the New Testament, the word of the Lord says, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the spirit is saying to the church. So John says, and I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself shall be with them and be their God. Jesus said, when you come to me, get away with me, I will tabernacle tabernacle with you, dwell with you, cover you, and you will recover your life. In the context of Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, the word recover means to regain your strength, composure, and balance in your life. How do we recover our strength and balance in life and ministry and the troublesome times in which we live, in the toxic environments that we have to experience? Isaiah said, I want to testify. They that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They'll mount up on wings of eagles. They'll run and not be weary. They will walk and they shall not faint. They that wait on the Lord. The word wait carries the meaning of those who expect, look for, and hope in him. 
I've got a confident expectation of a demonstration of the Spirit's power because like Paul, he tabernacles, he rests over us. He abides with us because he is our God. So we've got to have a expectation of a demonstration of the Spirit's power, even in the good times, in the bad times, because we're looking unto him who is the author and finisher of our faith and the restorer of our soul. So Jesus says in the Amplified Version of Matthew eleven twenty eight, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden and overburdened, and I will cause you to rest. I will ease and relieve and refresh your souls. One definition of this word relieve is to bring effective aid. Growing up in the 60s and 70s, one of my favorite cartoons was Popeye the Sailor Man. You know the story, those of you that watched Popeye when you were growing up, Brutus typically would beat Popeye up side down side a mountain, through rivers, through houses, through buildings, and Popeye would simply get to the point, enough is enough, and I'm not taking no more. Popeye's effective aid was a can of spinach. He would reach down inside of his uniform and pull out a can of spinach. Our effective aid is not a can of spinach, but it's God's word that aids us effectively. Not a band-aid or the red cross for effective aid. I'm talking about the effective aid of the cross that was made red by his shed blood on Calvary's hill. What can wash away my sins? What can make us whole again? It's nothing but the blood of Jesus and the blood still works. When we come to the Lord and recover life, the Lord relieves, provides effective aid, refreshes, renews and restores a spirit, soul and body because we have more power than the devil. Jesus says in Luke 10 and 19, behold, behold, which means open up your eyes. I've given you power over serpents and scorpions, over all the power of the enemy. This parallels Paul's declaration of Ephesians 6 and 6, where Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6, where Paul says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual wickedness, against principalities, against rulers of the darkness. So Jesus says in Luke 10, I've given you power over serpents and scorpions, over spiritual wickedness in high places, over principalities, rulers of the darkness. I've given you power over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means harm you when you walk in the unforced rhythms of grace, which is the power and equipment for ministry, free flowing, deliberately designed, unconstrained and free. And so as we move towards our close for today's podcast, we've got more power than the enemy. The unforced rhythms of God's grace is what he's always intended for us as his people. Even as he spoke to this Jewish crowd that had that were born into Judaism, knowing the Torah, knowing the Psalms, knowing the writings of the prophets, but did not know him as we move towards our close today. It is the unforced rhythms of God's grace that moves us beyond religion and to a relationship with God. The term relationship means relate to me on my ship. Jesus knows where we are. He understands the ups, downs, ins, and outs that we have experienced. But yet when we come to him, he says, I'll show you how to recover your life. I'll cause you to rest. I'll help you to recover your life and show you how to take a 
real rest. As we close today, the Passion Translation of Hebrews chapter 4 verse 9 declares, For us as believing believers, the writer says, We have concluded, I wonder who we are. In my, in my imagination, I can only imagine it's a great cloud of witnesses that the writer spoke of in Hebrews chapter 11. Those that have gone before us in the faith, those like Abraham and Isaac and Samson and those that experienced the power of God in their lives, the, the great company of witnesses. So the writer in Hebrews chapter four declares, we have concluded that there was still a full and complete rest waiting for believers to experience as we enter into God's faith rest. Life we cease or the life that we live, we cease from our own works just as God celebrates his finished works and rests in them. On the seventh day, God rested, he finished the works. So the unforced rhythms of grace is the finished work that God, there's a part of the finished work that God has given to us as his people, restoring us to uh, recovering our lives for the rest of our lives, where life and ministry is sweatless. And this rest is full and complete for us as believing believers. And it all begins for us by accepting the invitation that Jesus has given to us. Come to me. Well, how often do I need to come? Every time I need to be restored. Every time I need to be renewed. Every time I need to be refreshed. Every time I need to recover from a circumstance that has disappointed me or discouraged me. How often do I need to come to him? Every time that I need to be renewed, refreshed, restored, recover my life for the rest of my life. Because that's what Jesus says. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Where you rest in me, the finished work, which is the unforced rhythms of grace, the power and equipment that I give you for ministry through the good times, through the bad times, the ups, the downs, the ins, the outs, the heartaches and the heartbreaks. Come to me, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. And as we do so, God himself has said he tabernacles with us, covers us all the days of our lives. Because the work has been finished and a portion of the finished work is God's unforced rhythms of grace, the power and equipment for life and for ministry. <music>